You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet the firsts. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين والعاقبة للمتقين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا. So inshallah ta'ala tonight we will be continuing with the poets of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and we will be covering the second poet of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم who's famous for his story of repentance. But just as I said, it's important to inshallah ta'ala have this insight into what it looked like when you came into Medina. The man that we're speaking about, Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was one of those sahaba that lived a very, very long life and who many people became tabi'een because of, who many narrated from. And you could often see him walking around the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his old age with one of his sons taking him around because he was blind. So he's one of those companions that lived a long life and lived a significant amount of his life blind and whose sons would take him around the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ where people would come to meet him and would come to ask him about his history with the Prophet ﷺ and what he witnessed of those glorious days in Al-Madinah. So, we start off once again with the reminder that Imam bin Sirin rahimahullah says, كَانَ شُعَرَاءُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ ثَلَاثِ That there were three poets of the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa Hassan ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu wa Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu Ka'b ibn Malik has a lot of Ka'bs in his, uh, in his long name. So he's... Uh, Himself, Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the son of Malik ibn Abi Ka'b al-Qayn. Uh, both of his parents passed away before Islam had reached him or reached al-Madinah. He had two brothers, Sahl and Abdullah. So there's Ka'b ibn Malik, Sahl ibn Abdullah, and Abdullah ibn Malik, both of whom also accepted Islam and became companions through Ka'b ibn Malik. So again, three brothers, Ka'b ibn Malik, Sahl, and Abdullah, all who became companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he had at least 11 children. Uh, he was married five times, obviously not all at the same time, uh, and had over 11 children. The most famous of his children was Abdullah ibn Ka'b who became a famous hadith narrator. So out of his 11 children uh, that we know of, one of his children, Abdullah, uh, became became one of the more famous hadith narrators who narrated from his father as well as from many of the other companions of the Prophet Now, Ka'b ibn Malik ta'ala anhu, uh, what makes him of the blessed, first and foremost, is that he's one of the first people to embrace Islam from Al-Madinah. And like Abdullah ibn Rawaha, he's one of those who actually went to Bay'atul Aqaba, the second treaty of Aqaba, in Mecca and took the pledge with the Prophet So he's from the first batch of Muslims from Al-Madinah and someone who's also a famous poet, a famous writer, and also a warrior uh, from Al-Madinah. 
And the Prophet pairs him off with Az-Zubayr ibn Awam There's one narration that says Talha radiallahu anhu, but the more correct one appears to be that he was the brother of Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, which tells you a lot, right? Az-Zubayr and Talha, of course, are most famous for being who to the Prophet What are they to the Prophet Does anyone remember? Talha and Az-Zubayr? What are they? His neighbors in Jannah. Okay, Talha and Zubair are the two neighbors of the Prophet ﷺ in Al-Jannah. Talha wa Zubair, Jaraya fil Jannah. Az-Zubair is the disciple of the Prophet ﷺ. Every Prophet had a disciple, and my disciple was or is Az-Zubair ibn Awam. So when the Prophet ﷺ chooses you to be the host of a person like Az-Zubair, that shows the position that this man has immediately in the sight of the Prophet. Now, he's going to go on to participate in every major battle alongside the Prophet except for two. The most famous one being Tabuk, which is literally the bulk of his biography. Okay, so 75% of his biography is this one narration of Tabuk, and he missed Tabuk. And the other one is Badr. He missed Badr, and he says about Badr that the Prophet did not admonish people for missing Badr because Badr wasn't supposed to become a battle. Remember, it was simply the Muslims trying to intercept the caravans and get back their stolen stuff. So Badr was not intended to be this huge battle that it became. But Allah blessed those who served alongside the Prophet in the battle of Badr. And of course, the Badriyun, the people of Badr, are the veterans of Islam. So he missed Badr and he missed Tabuk. But he caught every other battle alongside the Prophet And in Uhud in particular, he was one of those who not only did not flee from the Prophet but one of those who was wounded heavily alongside the Messenger And there are a few narrations about Uhud. One of them is this narration of him and Az-Zubayr And the narration is that uh, when Ka'b anhu sustained multiple wounds, and Az-Zubayr anhu also sustained multiple wounds, you could see Az-Zubayr anhu picking up Ka'b and trying to keep him going and Ka'b supporting him. So Az-Zubayr was leading him in the battle of Uhud and Ka'b anhu was with him and they were so close and of course also brothers in, uh, in, in the pact between the people of Mecca and the people of Al-Madinah, the Muhajirin, the Ansar, that Az-Zubayr was going to inherit Ka'b ibn Malik had he died that day. And th- that's why they say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verse 85 in Surah Al-Anfal, وَأُولُوا الْأَرْحَامِ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلَى بِبَعْضِ فِي كِتَابِ And the people of, uh, of uh, your family members have greater rights in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they were closer than brothers. And this was of course just the understanding as they were going into it that inheritance would have transferred to Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu had Ka'b ibn Malik passed away on that day. There's also a narration from Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu anhu that he had a distinct honor on that day of Uhud with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He says about himself, he says, لَمَّنْ كَشَفْنَا يَوْمَ أُحُدْ كُنْتُ أَوَّلُ مَنْ عَرَفَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wasallam وَبَشَّرْتُ بِهِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ حَيًّا سَوِيًّا He said that when we became, you know, uh, exposed in Uhud or when we were hit in Uhud from the back. Obviously, we all know the story of Uhud. 
When Khalid anhu took the opposing army from the back and they started to attack the Muslims, he said, I was the first person to see the Prophet and to give the glad tidings of the Prophet well-being. So I was the one who caught sight of the Prophet and who let the companions know because the morale was very low on the basis of what? They thought the Prophet died. And the enemies of the Muslims were playing this trick of saying that we killed Muhammad to demoralize the Muslims and to get the Muslims to stop fighting. So he says, I was the first person to see the Prophet and to assure that he was alive and then to let the Muslims know that he was still alive And then he goes to the Prophet and he took, he, he swapped armor with the Prophet This is an act of bravery and courage. He swapped his armor with the Prophet And that of course caused much of the opposing army to come towards him. I mean, that's more bravery and sacrifice than you can think of, you know, from, from any human being, SubhanAllah, that not only does he stick with the Prophet but he swaps armor with the Prophet and goes to the other side of the battlefield, taking a group with him, and they continue to fight uh, with him on that day. And so he was wounded on the day of Uhud with 17 significant wounds. Uh, obviously, in his act of bravery, his act of courage, and being with the Prophet on that day of Uhud. So he missed Badr. But on Uhud, not only did he catch Uhud, but he is the only person that we know of that carried out this act of actually swapping armor with the Prophet and in the process incurring a significant amount of damage himself but of course he survived and Az-Zubayr also survived, Al-Talha also survived and of course the Prophet survived. So he's that person that is demonstrating his love for the Prophet in the most difficult moments. And this is important to, to the lead up of Tabuk, so you can understand why the Prophet was so disappointed that he wasn't there. Right? I mean, that's your showing in Uhud. That's a, that's a showing that isn't masked, right? That goes down in the books, and you are likely a person who will never have another stain on his reputation, right? After you carry out an act like that of bravery and courage, being with the Prophet. And being willing to incur that type of damage on his behalf, alayhi salatu wasalam. Now, his poetry was war poetry. As I said, the three poets of the Prophet each had a genre. And I found a, a more specific saying of Ibn Sirin, rahimahullah. He says, He said that as for Ka'b, his poetry was war poetry. It was poetry of strength and courage. And he would say, we did and we shall do. And he would basically threaten the opposing army. He would warn the opposing army. One of the uh, sayings, uh, And on the day of Badr, when their faces were humiliated, Jibreel was under our banner and Muhammad something that's traced back to Ka'b So he said, Ka'b kind of had that poetry where he talked about the strength of the army and, and, and talked down the other army. He says, وَأَمَّا حَسَّانَ فَكَانَ يَذْكُرُ عِيُوبَهُمْ As for Hassan, he used to mention their faults. Hassan's poetry was really mean, as you'll see next week. <laughs> it wasn't very nice poetry in the sense that he really diced up 
those people that would insult the Prophet ﷺ with poetry that really took them apart. And that was his specialty, right? It was this poetry, putting people down. And that has a function in Islam as well. Okay, that has a function in Islam as well. So putting them down with their own rhetoric, with their own flaws, and humiliating them when they tried to humiliate the Prophet ﷺ and the righteous ones. And he says, He said, as for Ibn Rawaha, he was the one who used to speak about their disbelief and speak about the superiority of belief to disbelief. So they each have their lane and their genre of poetry. And he said, He said that Dos, the remaining holdouts of Dos, they heard the poetry of Ka'ab radiallahu anhu and they embraced, they, they embraced Islam, they came forth and they put down their arms and they embraced Islam uh, because of the strength of his poetry before anything even uh, broke out uh, between them. So the confidence of Ka'ab radiallahu anhu, when they heard his voice as they're about to go into battle, they heard that confidence and that was inspiring to them, of course causes fear and inspires them uh, to not go forth in their ways. And he said, نُخَيِّرُهَا وَلَوْ نَطَقَتْ لَقَالَتْ قَوَاتِعُهُنَّ دَوْسًا أَوْ ثَقِيفًا these are hard lines to translate. Nukhayiruha ay nukhayiru sayyuf. We'll give our swords the choice and they will take, if they could speak, they would either take on dos or thaqif. Like it doesn't matter to us who's on the other side, we're going forward. And Ibn Sadeen rahimahullah was saying that uh, dos heard the confidence and, and, and the strength in the voice of Ka'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and that was enough for them. Uh, the Prophet also praised his poetry on a very specific occasion in a, in a beautiful way. Rasulullah said to Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, he said, مَا نَسِيَ رَبُّكَ لَكْ وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ نَسِيَّ بَيْتًا قُلْتَهُ مَا نَسِيَ رَبُّكَ لَكْ means your Lord has not forgotten this for you and your Lord is not forgetful. These words that you said, uh, this poem that you once said. So what does that mean? Basically Allah has written down the reward of that poem that you once said and Allah does not forget anything good that you do. So these good words that you said. So that's pretty amazing. The Prophet is saying, Allah remembers the words that you have said one day and Allah has written them down for you. So he said, ma huwa? He said, what are those words, Ya Rasulullah? The Prophet turned to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he said, anshidhu ya Abu Bakr. Say the words, O Abu Bakr. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, quoting Ka'ab to him, qala za'amat sakhinatu and sataghlib rabbaha wala yughlib wala yughlabanna mughalib alghallabi za'amat sakhina and sorry za'amat sakhinatu and sataghlib rabbaha sakhina said that it would defeat its lord or overcome its uh, the lord overcome allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what is sakhina sakhina is like the uh, the the grease and the flour what is it called what's that word clarified butter Right? So the Quraysh used to eat this. It's basically cheap food. And and it's fatty food. Okay? So it's a fatty food that Quraysh used to eat a lot of. Okay? And so he's basically calling them by the food that they used to eat. Right? Like these lazy fools. So if, if someone ate a lot of donuts and you said the donuts said, you're referring to them because of how many donuts they eat. No offense to the donut eaters in here. Right? But that's what his poetry is doing. He says, Za'mat Sakhina meaning Quraysh, Sakhina claimed that it was going to overcome its Lord. وَلَا يُغْلَبَنَّ مُغَالِبُ الْغَلَّابِ And whoever believes 
he will overcome. The one who overcomes shall be overcome. Whoever believes, he will overcome. The one who overcomes shall be overcome. So the Prophet is saying, Allah has not forgotten those powerful words that you said. And Allah does not forget anything. And it was so beautiful. I mean, imagine, and Kaab says, what is it, Ya Rasulullah? And the Prophet could turn to Abu Bakr and say, why don't you share those words? And Abu Bakr, right off the top of his head, off, off his head shares those words back to Kaab ibn Malik. So it's a beautiful statement and it's a beautiful means by which we see the, the praise of the Prophet for his poetry as well. Abdurrahman ibn Ka'ab narrates that uh, Ka'ab said, He said, O Messenger of Allah, Allah has revealed things about the poets that He has revealed. Meaning what? When Allah talks about poets in the Qur'an, it's not praise, right? Shu'ara are not praised in the Qur'an. And this was, of course, the fear of who? Abdullah ibn Rawaha. Like, poets are not praised people in the Qur'an. They're looked down upon. And so he was worried. He said, Ya Rasulullah, Allah has revealed about the poets what he revealed. And he's basically saying to the Prophet I don't feel like I'm doing something good anymore. Like, I'm worried about my rank. I'm worried about my status. And the Prophet ﷺ responded, إِنَّ الْمُجَاهِدَ مُجَاهِدٌ بِسَيْفِهِ وَلِسَانِهِ The Prophet ﷺ said, the mujahid, the one who strives, strives with his sword and with his tongue. And he said, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ لَكَأَنَّمَا تَرْمُونَهُمْ بِهِ مَضْحُ النَّبْلِ He said وسلم, and I swear by the one in whose hands is my soul that your words are like the arrows being thrown towards them. I mean, you, your, your tongue is, is, is archery. You know, what you are able to accomplish with your tongue. So keep doing what you do. It's okay. You, you shouldn't feel like you are low because of the poetry that you use because obviously Ka'ab was using this poetry in battle, almost exclusively in battle, to, uh, to, to get the troops ready, right? And to keep the morale high and keep them going. So this is Ka'ab around the Prophet one of the poets of the Prophet someone who has a heroic story in Uhud, someone who has seniority amongst the companions, one of those who, who was there on the night of Aqaba, so one of the early Muslims. And that's what makes Tabuk so significant. So now we get into what's known as the story of Ka'b ibn Malik, the repentance of Ka'b ibn Malik. In the chapters of Hadith, there is no person who occupies a greater story than Ka'b in regards to his tawbah, in regards to his repentance. It is the longest story of repentance and the most famous story of repentance that is told in the books of biography, in the books of Seer, and in the books of a hadith from the Prophet So we go to Tabuk. Tabuk is a battle in which once again, the Romans have killed an ambassador. The Prophet sends an ambassador to them and they killed him. And essentially that was taken as a declaration of war. And the Prophet starts to march towards Tabuk with the expectation that this is going to be a large scale battle between the Muslims and the Romans. And this story, uh, you know, is really not complete unless you understand the circumstances of Tabuk as a whole. Like the individual story of Ka'b ibn Malik Ka'b himself had been Muslim for over a decade at this point. Close companion of the Prophet And most of those who had been close to the Prophet up until this point did what was predictably 
Ihsan, predictable excellence, if you will, right? Those who stood with the Prophet and Badr and Uhud, Tabuk is a daunting task, who cares? So most of the stories of the companions of the Prophet are stories that cause you to admire them. Who can tell me the most famous story of charity from Tabuk? Does anyone know? I'll give you a clue, Jaysh al-Usra. It's called the difficult army, the, the, an army in hardship. Uthman ibn Affan okay? Uthman was the one who financed the army of Tabuk. And the Prophet looking and saying, مَا ضَرَّ عُثْمَانَ مَا فَعَلَ بَعْدَ الْيَوْمِ Nothing would ever harm Uthman after what he did today. Like this amazing contribution of Uthman anhu, the way he came forth with the Prophet predictable, ihsan, excellence, beauty. And the Prophet uh, praised him. Abdurrahman ibn Awf anhu, also predictable, right? Spends and comes forward. The close companions of the Prophet the Badriyun, the people of Uhud, they're all gathering around the Prophet and they're saying, we'll go forth, Ya Rasulullah. We don't care how daunting it is, right? And the hypocrites are very defined here. See, in Badr, they got away with not having to be there anyway. Uhud, remember, they split off right before the battle started. The hypocrites split off right before the battle started. Khandaq, they plotted from the inside, right? And tried to make things worse on the inside. Tabuk, they tried to discourage people from going forward. And those that were still in the ranks of the Muslims, you know, and weren't exposed at this point, started to make excuses. And of course, what they did was, they mocked everyone who did anything good. So I gave a khutbah about this recently, that when a person came, uh, if someone came and donated a large amount, they said he's just showing off. So Uthman comes, Abdurrahman bin Auf, they said, what a show off. Right? He's not sincere, he's just doing this to show off. And then on the other hand, A man comes and all he had was this small handful. He, all he had was just something seemingly insignificant to donate. And he had to work for the whole day. He went out and worked for the whole day to gather just the sa'ah that he could go and present to the Prophet and say, this is my contribution to the army as the Prophet was preparing the army. And they responded, they said, So Allah has no need for this man's insignificant amount. So they mocked the one who gave a lot. They mocked the one who gave a little. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, الَّذِينَ يَلْمِزُونَ الْمُطَوِّعِينَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فِي الصَّدَقَاتِ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَجِدُونَ إِلَّا جُهْدَهُمْ فَيَسْخَرُونَ مِنْهُمْ سَخِرَ اللَّهُ مِنْهُمْ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Those who disparage the people that would give charity among the believers and who find nothing to spend of their efforts. So they mock them and Allah mocks them and they will have an agonizing punishment. So you've got people that are giving sadaqah. You know, this is a long lead up to the battle. Okay, you have a lot of time to think about this. And it's July, around the time of July, and it's burning hot, and they're about to go to unknown land and face a much bigger army, right? This is a daunting task. So you got the predictable sadaqah, the people giving a lot. And then you got the people that are trying to give what they can. And then you have those that are coming forth and they are crying to the Prophet because they have nothing to give and they don't have the means to go out. And you have the people whose health does not allow them. And you have the people whose health does not allow them to go forward. Okay? So you're getting all these different, you know, groups of people. And you have the hypocrites. 
Now what happens is, this basically boils down to, at the end of it, once it comes time for the battle, you have 20,000 Sahaba surrounding the Prophet and ready to go. 20,000 companions, huge army that are leaving behind, you know, the comfort of their homes and putting themselves in a very difficult situation and marching in the heat in the hot summer without even much water to carry them through. And then you have the people of Udhr, the people who had an excuse to stay back. They were sincere, they were righteous, they wished they could go forward. And then you had the hypocrites, right? The hypocrites. The hypocrites who made excuses for themselves when they didn't really have an excuse and they tried to discourage people from going forward. They said, you know, it's hot, don't go. It's difficult right now. This is a difficult battle. Stay behind. So you got these three groups of people. And then you have these three men, amongst whom is Ka'b ibn Malik, that really are the outliers. These are three companions of the Prophet who are great men. And they don't have an excuse, but they stayed behind. And they are Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, Murara ibn al-Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umayyah. So Ka'b ibn Malik, Murara ibn Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umayyah. These three men are great companions of the Prophet And all three of them got caught up and ended up falling behind. So they missed the army when it went out for Tabuk. So here you have Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu anhu sharing the story of what happened to him and the narration, it's actually beautiful, the narration. The narration is from Ka'ab ibn Abdullah ibn Ka'ab ibn Malik. Uh, Ka'ab the grandson, narrating from Ka'ab the grandfather, the story of his staying behind and the story of his repentance. And this is 40 years later, Ka'ab ibn Malik sharing the story with his son. 40 years later when he was blind, because the narration actually says that, Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu sharing with his son Abdullah who then shares it with his son Ka'b who he named after his father. 40 years later, my regret for staying behind in Tabuk. So this is the, you know, you thought, think about Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu getting the story from Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu. Here you have Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu anhu 40 years after the incident, blind, sitting in the message of the Prophet talking to his son Abdullah and saying, let me share with you the story of the time that I stayed behind in Tabuk. So he goes on to say, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, لم أتخلف عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في غزوة غزاها قط إلا في غزوة تابوك غير أني قد تخلفت في غزوة بدر ولم يعاتب أحدا تخلف عنه. He said, uh, عنه, that I never missed a battle with the Prophet that he undertook except for the battle of Tabuk and the battle of Badr. And when it came to the battle of Badr, the Prophet did not blame anyone for missing it. So I only missed one battle that I am to blame for because the Prophet did not blame anyone for missing uh, Badr. And he explains because the Prophet went on and you know, they were not trying to start a battle, a war with Quraysh. They were just simply trying to attack the caravans and get their stolen stuff back. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, instead uh, caused it to be greater than that, غير ميعاد, even though that was not the plan in the first place. 
قال ولقد شهدت مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ليلة العقبة حين تواثقنا على الإسلام He said and I was there on the night that the Prophet took the pledge of Aqaba when we pledged our allegiance to Islam I mean this is the earliest station with the Prophet for the Muslims in Medina I was there when we went to Mecca in secrecy and we embraced the Prophet and we took that pledge with the Prophet and he says uh, that, you know, وَمَا أُحِبُّ أَنَّ لِي بِهَا مَشْهَدَ بَدْرٍ وَإِنْ كَانَتْ بَدْرٌ أَثْكَرَ فِي النَّاسِ مِنْهَا And he said, رضي الله تعالى عنه, that I would not trade that night of Aqaba even for Badr, even if Badr is more famous amongst the people, even if people talk about Badr all the time. But when we were just 70 of us, you know, going to Mecca in the time of Hajj with this man that was wanted by his people and disparaged by his people, and there was no safety net whatsoever, and secretly meeting the Prophet and taking that pledge with him, he said, that was the most beloved night of my life. I would not trade that day for any day in my life. Meaning to say, like I was there in some difficult moments. I didn't used to miss the Prophet in difficult moments. This wasn't out of cowardice that I fell behind on the day of uh, Tabuk. And he goes on to say, as for my story or how I fell back in Tabuk, this is brutal honesty. He says, Lam akun aqwa wala minni hina anhu fi tilka Wallahi ma jama'tu qablaha rahilatain qat hatta jama'tuhuma fi tilka He said that I had never been before the expedition of Tabuk in a good financial situation. I'd always been poor. I always had a bad situation. I was always in poverty. And by the way, you know, uh, some of the scholars say at some point he was from Ahl al-Sufa. He was homeless. Ka'b ibn Malik was not a wealthy man. He lived a very difficult life. Before Islam, he was poor. After Islam, he was not someone who was known to be wealthy. So he's saying, you know, throughout Islam, like I struggled. And then by the time Tabu came around, he said that was the first time in my life that I owned two camels at the same time. I mean, that's, that's the best that I'd ever been. This was the easiest situation that I had ever been in. So he's being honest with himself. He's saying that I was finally starting to see some of the ease and comfort of this dunya that I'd never seen before. So he said, فَغَزَاهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فِي حَرٍ شَدِيدٍ وَاسْتَقْبَلَ سَفَرًا بَعِيدًا He said the Prophet ﷺ chooses to go out in Tabuk in extreme heat and with an extreme distance. And the land that we had to cover had no water in it. And we had to confront this large army. And the Prophet ﷺ told us to be ready. Kept on telling us be ready, to get ready and to be ready. And he said that multiple Muslims heeded the call of the Prophet ﷺ. And, you know, at at, at the same time, they were so large that there was no proper record of them. There was no scroll. Like, you know, you're thinking about the draft now and the scrolls, literally writing down the names of, of those that had come forward. So this is 20,000 people in a short amount of time that said, Ya Rasulullah, we've got you, we're going to go out in this. So he said that in, in this situation, you know, there were some people that were under the impression they could easily conceal themselves because it's not like there was a proper record. The Prophet said, come out, but it was very easy for some people to simply sneak out of that situation because it was so much going on at the same time and so many people. 
And they were under the impression that they could easily remain undetected until the wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came down upon them, meaning Surah Tawbah, right? They thought they could easily just sneak out. So you got a whole bunch of people going around the Prophet's life. Some, some people are like, well, he's not going to notice me. And it's not like this is being recorded anywhere, like no one's writing down or taking names. So we can get out of this from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. قَالَ وَغَزَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ تِلْكَ الْغَزْوَةِ حِينَ طَابَتَ الثِّمَارِ وَالظِّلَالِ فَأَنَا إِلَيْهَا أَصْعُرُ He said, رضي الله تعالى عنه, that the Prophet set out on this expedition and the garden, the garden that I had, the fruits were ripe and the shadows had been lengthened. And he said, فَأَنَا إِلَيْهَا أَصْعُرُ that I had a weakness for that. Like I'm finally starting to see my crops are growing, I've got something going here with my wealth. So he said that تَجَهَّزَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَالْمُسْلِمُونَ مَعَهُ The Prophet and the Muslims were getting ready and I thought to myself, well I'll get ready when the time comes. Basically I procrastinated. وَأَقُولُ فِي نَفْسِي أَنَا قَادِرٌ عَلَى ذَلِكَ إِذَا أَرَدْتُ You know when the time comes, I'm pretty good at doing this, I know how to get ready for battle quickly. When the Prophet says, it's go time, I'll get ready then. But so far, you know, I've got time. So let me just keep on enjoying this new comfort that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to me. And he said that I kept on doing that, kept on procrastinating until people were, were about to leave. It was getting to the time that the Prophet was about to set out on this journey. And those that were with him, those that had that, uh, that, 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 that energy, that readiness, that preparedness, they were ready to go. So he said, I kept on delaying and they were about to go. And I went out early in the morning. It looked like they were about to leave. And I came back and I thought to myself, you know what? They're probably not gonna leave today. They'll probably leave tomorrow. And he said that as time went on, I realized that the Prophet the next morning was gone and the companions were gone. So this is a shock for him, right? Wait a minute, he left? The Prophet ﷺ had been saying all this time, be ready, be ready, be ready. Ka'b anhu heard it, he intended it, but he'd come home, he'd see his garden, see his two camels. This is the idea of distraction. Not a palace, right? Not TikTok, right? Just his distraction was what? You know, I got some fruits coming out on these trees. Things are pretty comfortable right now. I'll take a nap today. I'll be ready when the time comes. I'm ready for battle. I know how to do this. And then they were gone. So he said that I, at that point, said to myself, He said that I told myself, I wish I could go and catch them. And subhanAllah, he's sharing this narration. 40 years later to his son. This is so powerful and this is one of the things that can be missed when you're just reading through something quickly. And in the middle of sharing this narration, God, I wish I did it. Like I still am mad at myself for missing it. 40 years later, blind, after Allah announced his tawbah in the Quran, he's going back and recalling to his son those moments before they left. And he says, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed otherwise for me. So he describes the, the scene in Medina. 
إذا خرجت في الناس بعد خروج رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يحزنني أني لا أرى لي أسوة إلا رجلا مغموصا عليه في النفاق أو رجلا ممن عذر الله من الضعفاء He said that I went out amongst the people and I was so depressed that the only people left in Medina were people who were clear hypocrites you know, people that were just clear munafiqeen. I looked out and saw a bunch of hypocrites and I saw the people that were exempt because of their incapacity, because of their health or whatever reason they could not go with the Prophet So that's when it really struck me. Like you imagine when 20,000 Sahaba leave Medina with the Prophet and he goes out and looks around and he says, oh my God, who are these people? These are the people that I found myself left behind with? So he said, that I was so sad, but I knew that there was no way for me to catch up with the Prophet ﷺ at that point. And he said, وَلَمْ يَذْكُرْنِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ حَتَّى بَلَغَ تَابُوكَ The Prophet ﷺ did not mention me to the companions until we got to Tabuk. وَهُوَ جَالِسٌ فِي الْقَوْمِ بِتَابُوكَ The Prophet ﷺ was sitting with the companions in Tabuk. I mean, there's 20,000 people in the heat going out, kicking up the sands and making these preparations and the Prophet looks around and Rasulullah says, Malik? Where's Ka'b? Where's Ka'b ibn Malik? Now he wasn't saying it to humiliate him and Ka'b was obviously hearing the second hand what's happening in his absence. So the Prophet looks around and he says, where's Ka'b? What happened to Ka'b ibn Malik? Not making an assumption. قَالَ رَجْرٌ مِنْ بَنِي سَلَمَةٍ a man stood up from Banu Salama and he said, Ya Rasulullah, habasahu burdahu wa nadru fi itfayhi. He said, Ya Rasulullah, the beauty of his gardens and his sudden wealth distracted him. And subhanAllah, he said, Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu stood up and he said, Bi'sa ma qult, wallahi, Ya Rasulullah, ma alimna alayhi illa khayra. He said, what a horrible thing you just said. Wallahi, Ya Rasulullah, we only know good things about Ka'b. See, subhanAllah, always read the story and assume that you could be someone else in the story. This is your typical backbiting moment, all right? And this is how righteous religious people fall into the depths of ugly sin. You're sitting around and, hey, have you seen that person? They haven't come to the masjid in a long time. Yeah, saw them at the mall the other day. You know, I saw them here. Those indications. Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, out of his righteousness. Notice, by the way, the man who backbited is not named. <laughs> so Ka'ab who knows who he is, but he's doing sitr of him. He's concealing his identity, but he's praising Mu'adh ibn Jabal. He's saying, but Mu'adh ibn Jabal stood up and Mu'adh said, what a horrible thing you just said. Allah Ya Rasulullah, we only know good things about Ka'ab. Like I can't testify to what held him back, but the man's track record should mean something. He's a good man. We know the Sahabi. We know Ka'ab فَسَكَتَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. The Prophet ﷺ was quiet. فَبَيْنَمَا هُوَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ While the Prophet ﷺ is sitting down with the companions and that exchange just happened, the Prophet ﷺ did not get a chance to even comment on what the man said and what Mu'adh said. He said, رَأَى رَجُلًا مُبَيِّضًا يَزُولُ بِهِ السَّرَابِ That the Prophet ﷺ saw this man running, coming forward, dressed in all white and he was he was so far away i mean he's kicking up the dirt it's like a mirage in the desert like there's a man that's coming and the prophet says kun aba khaythama kun aba khaythama 
Be Abu Khaythama. I hope you're Abu Khaythama. I hope you're Abu Khaythama. Who was Abu Khaythama? He said, Abu Khaythama, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, huwa alladhi tasaddaqa bisa'i tamr. He's the one who brought just that, that small amount of tamr that the munafiqoon made fun of. And he didn't have the means to be with the army, but he found a way. And he was chasing after the army afterwards to come find the Prophet And the Prophet sees him so far away that it's just like a figure, a mirage over there. And the Prophet says, Kun Abu Khaythama. I hope that's Abu Khaythama. And it was Abu Khaythama radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Ka'b is sharing this, not just to share the incident, but like, it could have been Abu Khaythama. You know, shaitan held me back from even going and trying to chase afterwards and I would have been okay. But, you know, it's like, you know, practical example. You know, Salatul Fajr is 6.30. Get up a little bit late. You do your wudu at 6.31. Oh, I'd only catch the second rakat even. Let me stay behind, right? That's kind of the, the, the way shaitan works, right? Procrastination. So he's like, the Prophet was so excited to see Abu Khaythama radiallahu ta'ala anhu come and join him in that moment radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then Ka'ab radiallahu anhu says, فَلَمَّا قِيلَ لِي إِنَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَدْ أَظَلَّ قَادِمًا زَاهَ عَنِّي الْبَاطِلْ حَتَّى عَرَفْتُ أَنِّي لَنْ أَنْجُو مِنْهُ بِشَيْءٍ أَبَدًا فَأَجْمَعْتُ صِدْقَهُ Now I'm paraphrasing this by the way, I'm going a little bit ahead in the hadith because of time. He said that when the Prophet ﷺ was coming back, I thought to myself, let me fabricate something or maybe I should tell a lie or maybe I should make an excuse the way other people did and other people told me I should. But when it was said to me that the Prophet ﷺ was on his way back, because what happened in Tabuk? They got there and the battle never happens, right? So they made their way all the way out there and the battle of Tabuk never happened. So he says, when I got, when the Prophet ﷺ was coming back, I told myself that maybe I can fabricate something or I can tell a story or I can make an excuse. And people were telling me to do that. But he said, when I heard the Prophet ﷺ was coming, and he was about to arrive. He said, all of that left my mind. And I came to the conclusion that nothing could save me but the truth. Nothing could save me. Nothing would save me except for telling the truth. So I basically just decided I'm going to speak the truth to the Prophet So the Prophet and the army get back from Tabuk. And the Prophet arrives in Medina. And Ka'b radiallahu anhu said that the first thing the Prophet sallallahu would do when he got back to Medina was what? What's the first thing he would do? Before he'd even go home, what would he do? He'd go to the masjid and pray to rak'ahs. Okay, so he says, I knew the Prophet sallallahu sunnah, his habit was when he came back from a journey, battle or elsewhere, elsewhere, he would always go back to the masjid before he went home and he'd pray to rak'ahs sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he said that the Prophet did that. He came back from Safar, he came back from travel, and he prayed these two rak'ahs. And he said, at that point, after the Prophet prayed his two rak'ahs, he sat down in the masjid. He said, uh, The people that stayed back, they all came and they gathered around the Prophet. They came to the Prophet ﷺ and they all started to make their excuses one by one. And he said they were about 80 men just immediately going to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, this happened, Ya Rasulullah, this happened, Ya Rasulullah, this happened, Ya Rasulullah, this happened, Ya Rasulullah, this happened. And they're all making up stuff. 
So the Prophet Qabila minhum, he just took what they said at face value. And the Prophet said, you know, may Allah forgive you. And he entrusted their secrets to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, وَوَكَلَ سَرَائِرَهُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ Means that the Prophet took them at what they said and their intentions and what they're really concealing. The Prophet left that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to decide in their regard. At the end of the day, the Prophet said, I'm going to take you at face value. He knows who they are and he knows that they're making stuff up. But you know what? If you're lying, your affair is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you're not, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make a way out for you. He said, until it was my turn. So Ka'ab is watching this and he sees these 80 men and he waited until they all finished. And he said, until I came to the Prophet And he said, when I gave the Prophet The Prophet smiled the smile of an angry man. You know what an angry smile looks like? Right? <laughs> like it wasn't his happy smile. The Prophet gave me that disappointed and angry smile. Like, not you. Right? Like everybody else, I get. This was expected of the hypocrites. But, Kaab, what happened to you? So he said, I came to the Prophet, I sat in front of the Prophet, and he said to me, What caused you to fall behind? Didn't you have the means to go forth? Couldn't you afford a ride? And he said that I said to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, Inni wallahi law jalastu inda ghayrik. He said, O Messenger of Allah, I swear by Allah, if I was sitting with someone other than you in Ahl dunya from the people of this world, you would have seen that I'm an articulate man, I'm an eloquent person, I would have easily been able to get myself out of this. Right? Like, I'm a poet. I know how to make stuff up. I know how to you know, embellish the truth a little bit, right? I know how to do this. But because it's you, Ya Rasulullah, I'm not going to do this. But he said, I'm just going to admit to you, Wallahi ma kana li udur. I had no excuse. I've never been in a better situation than when Tabuk started. I had all the means to go. I just procrastinated. I kept on waiting until the last minute. I got distracted. And then I missed out. So the Prophet ﷺ, he says to him, أَمَّا هَذَا فَقَدْ صَدَقَ Prophet ﷺ says, as for this person, he's telling the truth. Ka'ab is telling the truth. And he said, فَقُمْ حَتَّى يَقْضِيَ اللَّهُ فِيكَ He said, O Ka'ab, go until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals something in regards to you. So the Prophet ﷺ is expecting a revelation that's going to declare the status of all of these people who were exposed in the situation of Tabuk. So he said that as I left, he said, Thara rijalun min bani salima, fattabauni. Said that this group of people that were watching the whole thing unfold in the masjid, they followed me and they said to me, Wallahi, ma alimnaka, adnabta dhamban qabla hadha. We swear by Allah, we've never seen you commit a sin before this. We don't know you to be a person who's ever made a mistake. And he said, why don't you go back the way that those people went to the Prophet and give him a udhr, just give him an excuse. And the Prophet will seek forgiveness for you and everything will be okay. Why did you do that to yourself? Why did you just tell the Prophet that I've never been in a more easy situation and I have no excuse, I should have went out with you. I just failed, Ya Rasulullah. So they're trying to prompt him. 
And he said that they almost got me to go back to the Prophet and to try to, you know, somewhat soften the blow. But he said, I asked them at that point, قلت لهم, هل لقي هذا معي من أحد? Has anyone else suffered the same fate as me? Meaning, are there anyone or is there anyone that came to the Prophet like me who just had no excuse? And they said, two people that have made the same mistake as you and they refused to give an excuse. So I said to them, who were they? And when they told me it was Murara and Hilal, I remembered that they were Ashab from Badr. They were two companions who were in Badr. So I said to myself, if these two pious people, right, were in this situation, then I have no chance, right? I mean, I'm going to basically stay patient because if these two pious people made this, you know, uh, made their case with the Prophet or delivered the, the news to the Prophet in this way, and the Prophet told them, wait until Allah Subh'anaHu Wa decrees your matter, the same way he told me, then I'm not gonna go try to change things at this point. Instead, I have to wait. At that point, وَنَهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ عَنْ كَلَامِنَا The Prophet ﷺ forbade the Muslims from talking to us. So we ended up being excommunicated until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals something in regards to us. And he said, the people were avoiding us and then their attitude started to become hostile towards us. And he said at that point, he said, uh, or, you know, uh, he said at that point, uh, it felt like the earth had been confounded, like the earth was suffocating. I was fully aware and it was as if the earth was suffocating and I had absolutely nowhere to turn. And he said that at that point, I continued and it went on for 40 whole days where the atmosphere had turned hostile and no one was talking to us and we were crying and wondering what's going to happen to us. And he says that as for my two companions, they basically stayed at home at that point and they just cried. They would stay at home and cry, Murara and Hilal. He says, He said that as for me, I was the youngest of them and I was the strongest of them. I used to go out and I would, you know, pray with the Muslims and I would go through the marketplace and no one would talk to me. So I'm walking around the people and no one is talking to me. And he said, I would go to the Prophet and I'd say salam to him after salah. And I would say to myself, did his lips move? Did he respond to me in this moment? With the response of the salam or not? Now remember, this was the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to leave these three until Allah reveals something in regards to them. So this is not punishment or cruelty towards them. This is Allah has to reveal something in regards to these three men and their affair is not clear yet. So he says, he said, then I would try to go close to him and pray close to him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I would try to see if I could make eye contact with him alayhi salatu wasalam. 
And he said that he would look at me and then if I looked back at him, then he would look away, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I couldn't even get a chance to make eye, eye contact with him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He says, he said at that point when time had gone on and the harshness of the Muslims towards me had increased, he said, I went and I went to the wall of the garden of Abu Qatada. Abu Qatada was my cousin, عنه, and he said that I used to love him, who ibn Ammi, he was my cousin. Uh, he was the most beloved of people to me. فَسَلَّمْتُ عَلَيْهِ So I said, Assalamu alaikum, Abu Qatada. And he said, مَا رَدَّ عَلَيَّ السَّلَامِ He didn't respond to the salam. And that's when it really hurt him. He said, فَقُلْتُ لَهُ I said to him, يَا أَبَا قَتَادَ أَنْشُدُكَ بِاللَّهِ هَلْ تَعْلَمَنَّ أَنِّي أُحِبُّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ Oh Abu Qatada, أَنْشُدُكَ بِاللَّهِ I ask you by Allah, هَلْ تَعْلَمَنَّ أَنِّي أُحِبُّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ Don't you know that I love Allah and His Messenger? And he didn't respond. So I said it again. I, I, I ask you by Allah, don't you know, aren't you aware? هَلْ تَعْلَمَنَّ أَنِّي أُحِبُّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ Don't you know I love Allah and His Messenger? And he said that he kept on being quiet. And then finally, he responded and he said, Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and His Messenger know best. He said, that crushed me. So he said, He said, I started to cry and I turned away and I started to, you know, I climbed down from the wall and as I was walking home, I heard this voice calling my name, but it wasn't a uh, Madani voice. It wasn't from the people of Medina. It was a voice of someone an outsider who was asking the people in Medina to direct him to me. So they're asking him, where is Ka'b ibn Malik? Where is Ka'b ibn Malik? So he said, I noticed people were pointing towards me and this man was calling out and they were, you know, eventually this man comes to me and he hands me a letter. And he said, and I was a scribe. I was literate and I was a scribe and I knew how to read. So he said, I opened up the letter and he said, it said in that letter, Amma ba'd, فَإِنَّهُ قَدْ بَلَغَنَا أَنَّ صَاحِبَكَ قَدْ جَفَاكَ وَلَمْ يَجْعَلَكَ اللَّهُ بِدَارَ هَوَانٍ وَلَا مَضِيَعَةٍ فَالْحَقْ بِنَا نُوَاسِكَ He said to me, or that the letter said to me, and it was written from the Christians, that we knew, uh, or we've come to know, that your friend is mistreating you, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. وَلَمْ يَجْعَلْكَ اللَّهُ بِدَارِ هَوَانِ Allah did not create you to be so degraded and not to be someone who is so lost and mistreated. فَالْحَقْ بِنَا Come to us, نُوَاسِكْ And we'll treat you well, we'll honor you. So basically, leave the Muslims and come to us, join us, and we'll treat you well. So he said that حِينَ قَرَأْتُهَا I read it and I said to myself, this is also a test. And he said, I put it in a tanur. I basically burnt it in the oven. Of course, this was another trick of shaitan. Hey, you know what? You messed up. Why don't you go leave your religion? Come to us and you'll be treated well with us. So he said, then at that time, as time had passed, even our wives had stopped talking to us.
So I asked the Prophet am I supposed to divorce her? And the Prophet said no. So he has to remain separate from his wife or he's separate from his wife. And he said the same message was said to my companions or that you know, even their wives are not talking to them at this point. And I said to my wife, you better go to your parents and stay with, with them until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us some sort of an order. And he goes on to say that the wife of Hilal ibn Umayyah came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, Hilal is an, is, is, is an older man. He has no one to serve him. I just want to serve him. I'm not going to be around him or be intimate with him. He doesn't have that instinct, but I still want to be around him and serve him. And the Prophet gave her that permission. And while we're kind of separated from the community in this regard, some of my family members came to me and said, why don't you go to the Prophet and say, Ya Rasulullah, can I be with my wife? Because the Prophet permitted Hilal ibn Umayyah to have his wife. And he said, I'm not going to seek permission from Allah's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, for I cannot say what he will say in response to my seeking permission. And he said, I'm also a young man. I'm not in the situation of Hilal ibn Umayyah. Instead, I'm going to wait. And he said, in this situation, while I was in the state, 50 nights had passed. And he said, I observed the Fajr prayer and I was sitting on the roof of my house. And as I was in fact sitting in that very state that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes us perfectly with, he said, just as Allah would come to describe us in Surah Tawbah, life had become so difficult and the earth had suffocated us despite its vastness. I was so sad, so confused, waiting for something to come. Then he said, I heard an announcer from the hill saying at the top of his voice, Ya Ka'ab ibn Malik, Ya Ka'ab ibn Malik, Abshir, Abshir, O Ka'ab ibn Malik, congratulations, congratulations, glad tidings. So he said, فَخَرَجْتُ سَاجِدًا So I went out and I just made sujood. وَعَرَفْتُ and I knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's relief had come to me. And he said, Allah's Messenger had received the news from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of the acceptance of our repentance after he prayed Salatul Fajr. So the Prophet told the people that Allah had revealed our tawbah, Allah had revealed our repentance. And when he said that, Ka'b radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, the people went running out of the masjid to come towards me, which one of them, to see which one of them would be the first person to tell me that I was forgiven, that tawbah had come my way. So he said, I see these people, my friends rushing towards me, people galloping on their horses, coming towards me to say to me that Allah has forgiven you, Allah has forgiven you, Allah has forgiven you. And he said that I was so happy that the first person that reached me, he said, I took off my shirt and I gave it to him. And he said, I realized as I was so happy and I gave him my shirt that I didn't have a garment to cover myself. So I had to borrow a garment so I could then go to the Prophet and celebrate with the Prophet So he said, so I went out to the Prophet and on the way I'm meeting people. It's like a complete change of environment. First, People were ignoring me. They didn't know what to do in regards to me. Now people are saying salam and they're congratulating me. They're saying abshir, abshir, abshir. And he said that I'm going to the Prophet I'm trying to get between the people. And he said, when I entered upon the Prophet in the masjid, he said, فَقَامَ طَلْحَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ He said, طَلْحَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ got up. 
and he rushed towards me to hug me and to celebrate me. And he said that I'll never forget what he did for me. I'll never forget that moment. Like I'll never, I'll never be thankful enough to Talha radiallahu anhu for the way that he embraced me on that day when he got up and rushed towards me. And he said that I then made my way to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he said that as I said to the Prophet sallallahu the Prophet looked at me and he said, Salam, and he said, Abshir bi khayri yawm. He said, Glad tidings to you of the best day. Abshir bi khayri yawm in marra alayk mundu waladatka ummuk. Glad tidings to you of the best day of your life since your mother gave birth to you. The day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed your tawbah. This is the best day of your life, O Ka'ab. The day that Allah forgave you. The day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed your repentance. This is the best day since the day your mother gave birth to you. And I said to him, is this from you, Ya Rasulullah? Amin indika, Ya Rasulullah? Amin indillah. Is this from you, O Messenger of Allah? Is this from Allah himself? Like, did you just decide to forgive me? Or did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decide to forgive me? The Prophet said, rather, this is from Allah. And he said, He said, the Prophet when he used to be happy, like when he used to smile with that happiness, when he was with joy, his face was like the moon. It was like a full moon. And he was looking at me with his face fully brightened and in delight. And he's telling me, Abshir ya Ka'ab, this is the best day of your life, the day that Allah forgave you. And he said, I said to the Prophet that Ya Rasulullah, from my tawbah, I'm giving away all of my wealth in sadaqah. Everything I own. I got distracted by the money, I got distracted by the gardens. Ya Rasulullah, I'm giving it all away for the sake of Allah. The Prophet does not exploit him in the moment. He says, Amsik ba'da you should hold on to some of your money, it's better for you. Don't give it all away. That's not what is required of you in this moment. And he said, fine, then I'm just going to keep with me just what I have from Khaybar. I'm going to give everything else away, Ya Rasulullah. And I said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, قُلْتُ Ya Rasulullah. He said, I said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said that Allah saved me by me speaking the truth. And he said, From my tawbah, I will make sure that I never say a word ever again in my existence, except that it is truth. Lying would have messed things up for me. I spoke the truth, Ya Rasulullah, and the only thing that saved me in this situation was the truth, was me telling the truth. And he said, I will never tell a lie, O Messenger of Allah, as long as I live with this tongue. And he goes on, SubhanAllah, and he said, by Allah, I do not know whether anyone amongst the Muslims was put more severe, was put in more severe trial by Allah because of telling the truth. But Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala also revealed in regards to Ka'ab and his companions, his forgiveness. Surah At-Tawbah is about their tawbah, is about their repentance. The verses of their tawbah, verses 117 and 118, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals that Allah has forgiven them 
and rewarded them and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has counted them amongst the truthful and Allah azawajal advising us to be amongst as-sadiqeen fattaqullaha wa kunu ma'as-sadiqeen so fear Allah and be amongst the truthful and Ka'b radiallahu ta'ala anhu he said by Allah there is no blessing more significant in my life than the truth that I spoke in the, in, in the face of the Prophet and if I were to tell a lie, I would have been ruined as the liars were ruined. Because all those people that made excuses with the Prophet and the Prophet accepted it, Allah revealed verses about them being hypocrites. Allah revealed verses about their lies. And so it's a lesson as well that telling the truth, even if it's going to hurt you in the beginning, the reward of it is great. And telling lies, even if it's going to make things easy for you in the beginning, the pain of it afterwards is great. This is the story of Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu of his tawbah, of his repentance. And this is something subhanAllah that we take for ourselves. The day that Allah forgives you is the greatest day of your life. The day that Allah looks at you and says that you are amongst those who receive his repentance is the greatest day that exists on this earth. Whether that's Laylatul Qadr, whether that's the beginning of Ramadan, whether that is your Hajj or the day of Arafah, or whether that's just a moment that you don't even know is recorded in which Allah sees you as a sincere repenter and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, forgives you. We see with Ka'b radiallahu ta'ala anhu after this, and I know we've run out of time, so I don't want to take too much time. He lives a long, peaceful life after this and his story becomes synonymous with one thing, which is tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And many of the ahadith are narrated from his children, from his 11 children, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And we see that he was someone that did not participate in anything that would not be uh, truthful or anything that would not be noble. When Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was besieged, he was still alive. And he said this poetry. He said, فَكَثَّ يَدَيْهِ ثُمَّ أَغْلَقَ بَابَهُ he said that Uthman anhu threw up his hands and shut his doors and he had certainty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is certainly not amongst the heedless. And he said to those that were in his home, do not fight back. Allah has forgiven everyone who does not partake in the fitna, does not partake in the bloodshed. فَكَيْفَ رَأَيْتَ اللَّهَ صَبَّ عَلَيْهِمُ الْعَدَاوَةَ وَالْبَغْضَاءَ بَعْدَ تَوَاصِلِ And look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed them instead, you know, after their closeness to one another to become consumed with enmity and become consumed with hatred and grudges. فَكَيْفَ رَأَيْتَ الْخَيْرَ أَدْبَرَ عَنْهُمْ وَوَلَّا كَإِدْبَارِ النَّعَامِ الْجَوَافِلِ And the translation of this, and have you seen how goodness, all goodness has left from them and escaped from them, ran away from them like an ostrich in fear. You know, that goodness went away from them when they started to kill other Muslims, when they killed Uthman radiallahu anhu and they turned their back on, they turned their backs on him. Obviously, he was very sensitive radiallahu ta'ala anhu to what he saw as the abandonment of a righteous man because of his own experience radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He died of natural causes at very, very old age and he narrates from the Prophet um, several ahadith. The most famous of them is his own narration of himself, the narration of Tabuk. And most of the ahadith of Ka'ab anhu are about the travel habits of the Prophet And I end with one narration because it's the first narration we started with of the season. It shows you how the people of Medina all come together. Abdurrahman ibn Ka'ab anhu 
He says that when my father was too old to take himself to the masjid and he was blind, he said that I was taking my father to the masjid. And he said that every time he heard the adhan for Jumu'ah, he would make dua for As'ad ibn Zurara radiallahu ta'ala anhu and start to seek Allah's forgiveness for As'ad ibn Zurara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And us young ones, we didn't understand why. And we asked him, why is it that you always seek forgiveness for As'ad ibn Zurara? And he said, because he was the first one to give us khutbah and to gather us for Jumu'ah before the Prophet arrived in this place. As'ad being the first person that we spoke about from the Ansar. So you see the way the history of these people uh, come together. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all and send his peace and blessings upon our Prophet وسلم, and gather us with the Messenger وسلم, and his companions and make us amongst the people who are sincere in their repentance, who are sincere in their struggle and who are accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma ameen. Inshallah ta'ala next week we will talk about Hassan ibn Thabit, the third poet. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.